Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Just to kind of give you an update of where we're at in this sermon series that we have been going through, and just kind of using maybe Netflix lingo, uh, this is season one, episode 11 of an Inspire original that we are calling By Faith Alone. So if you've been here for the majority of that time, you've made it through 11 episodes of season one. That is super exciting. And, uh, and I, what I want to let you guys know is that today is the season finale. Today is the season finale of By Faith Alone, which means that we are going to pause Romans for about a good month and a half, and then seasons two, season two will come back in January. And so, uh, so today is the season finale. So clap your hands because you made it to the season finale. Yeah. Now, like every good season finale, you need a recap, right? You need a recap. You need to know kind of where you've been so that you can kind of understand where we're going to end it, pause it. There might be a cliffhanger. I don't think there will be one here today, but, um, but definitely want to make sure I give you a good recap so that you could see um, where we've been. Now, the book of Romans is really a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a Christian church that was in Rome. And really, the theme of Romans, the overall theme of Romans is this. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? And that is the gospel. That is the gospel message. This is the point that Paul has been driving home to all of us for the last 11 weeks. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. And so let me kind of go backwards and just kind of tell you how we got here. In chapter one, if you remember, Paul introduced himself. He also introduced the gospel of God, the good news of God. And he called the gospel this, God's power to save. He says the gospel is God's power to save anyone who would believe it. Then later on in chapter one and going into chapter two, Paul hit us with some bad news. Paul says, the gospel is good news, but before you can appreciate the good news, I'm actually going to hit you with some bad news. And he hit us with this painful truth over and over and over again. And it's this. Are you ready? Here's the bad news. God is justifiably angry with us. He's justifiably angry with all mankind because even though he created us, we rejected him as creator and we turned to other things. We willfully rejected him and we turned to idols. So Paul kind of comes to this real gloomy, kind of condemning conclusion at the end of chapter 3, verse 20. He says this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. In other words, you and I can't earn our way into God's good graces. He's angry with us because we have rejected him and we have turned to idols And we cannot earn our way back into his good graces. But thank God, Paul doesn't stop there, amen? 
And thank God the Bible doesn't stop there. You see, Paul is just setting us up so that we could understand the good news. And we get to the good news at the end of chapter 3 when Paul reveals to us this, that even though you and I cannot save ourselves, God has made a way for us to be saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That it's not by your own efforts and your own works that you are saved, but it is by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the bad news says that you are justifiably deserving of God's wrath, but the good news says is that Jesus Christ shed blood has took God's wrath for you. If you would just believe that, you would be saved. I love how Pastor Timothy Keller kind of sums this all up. If I had to put the first three and a half, four chapters summed up, I I like what Pastor Timothy Keller says this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe yet at the same time we're more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope let's pray thank you Jesus thank you Jesus that you have saved a wretch like me thank you Jesus Lord that I am flawed I'm sinful more than I ever thought I was but that I'm also accepted and loved in Christ more than I ever dared imagine. The Lord, may those two truths guide us into worship and may those two truths guide us into hope and humility. And I pray that as we enter into the season finality of Romans, Lord, I pray that your word would be um, made known, your gospel would be clear. And I pray that every word that we speak through your scriptures, doesn't come back void, but accomplishes everything that you have desired it to accomplish in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 4, verse 13. We're actually going to read verse 13 all the way through 25, and then that's where we're going to end. And then in in about a month and a half, we will pick back up in January, and we'll start from Romans chapter 5. So today we'll finish our season by reading verses 13 through 25. Now, as you're going there, I just kind of want to give you a little context so you can understand what we're about to read. Uh, In chapter 4, remember, I've kind of recapped all the way up to chapter 3, but in chapter 4, Paul kind of shifts from explaining the gospel theoretically to demonstrating the gospel practically in the life of an Old Testament patriarch named Abraham. And it's from Abraham's life that Paul teaches us some lessons about the gospel. It's from Abraham's life that Paul teaches us some lessons about the gospel. And let me just kind of share with you what some of those lessons are. Number one, Paul teaches us, and really he teaches those that he's writing to, that the gospel is nothing new. Paul didn't just make this thing up all of a sudden. The gospel is nothing new. What do I mean by that? Being saved by faith. It's not new. In fact, God has always saved people by faith in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, and he proves it through Abraham's life. The second thing that we learn through Abraham's life about the gospel is that the gospel is not earned. 
It's not earned. We can't take credit for our salvation. We can't take credit for it. We can't take the glory for it. Only God gets the glory because we have no part in our salvation. And finally, number three, and this is kind of where we're going to go today. The gospel is an outworking of God's grace. And that's where we're going to land on today. And that's where we're going to finish our season finale with this idea of grace. What is grace? What does it mean for you and I? The gospel is an outworking of God's grace. So with that being said, let's jump into the text, verse 13 through 25. And it reads like this. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, for I'm sorry, for if it is the adherents of the law to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours as well. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Amen. Listen, if salvation was based on law keeping, then our only hope would come from our own efforts. And if our own efforts saved us, then we deserve the glory. We can boast. But if salvation is based on faith, then our only hope comes by the grace of God. And it's God who gets the glory. And it's God in whom we boast, not us. So here's the critical question that I want to ask you right now in this moment. When it comes to your eternity, who do you trust more to secure it for you, yourself or God? Think about that. When it comes to your eternal security, when it comes to eternity, who do you trust more to secure it for you? Do you put your trust in yourself or do you put your trust in God? Now, for the rest of our time together, Paul's going to give to us 
two reasons why we should be overjoyed. We should be ecstatic that salvation is not based on law keeping. And then he's going to give us two reasons why we should be ecstatic that salvation is based on the grace of God. Amen. Now your faces don't look ecstatic, but that's okay. Because by the end of this, I really feel like our countenance is going to change. <laughs> so reason number one, let's jump right into two reasons why we should be overjoyed that our salvation is not based upon law keeping. I'm going to give you two reasons why you and I should be excited at the fact that we cannot earn our salvation through keeping the law. Reason number one, if salvation was based on law keeping, faith wouldn't matter. Faith would be irrelevant. Faith would be useless. And if faith doesn't matter, the dynamics of our entire relationship with God actually changes. You see, what is faith? Faith is trusting. Faith is depending. Faith is believing in someone that you know and love. Faith is putting your trust in somebody who has a record of not letting you down. Faith is relational. Faith is personal, but a relationship with God that does not require faith becomes distant and transactional. Look, if we could earn our salvation by keeping the law, then God would cease to be a loving father and, and instead would become more like a cosmic employer. How would you like to spend eternity with your employer? Punching in and punching out, getting paid for hard labor in salvation. If it was not based on faith, but based on your work, then we would spend eternity with a God that would be more like an employer than a father. Are you with me? If keeping the law earned us salvation, then there would be no need for us to be in a personal, loving relationship with God. And I don't think I'd love to spend eternity with someone who was more like a taskmaster than a loving father. Reason number two why we should be excited at the fact that it's not based on law. Reason number two is this. If salvation was based on law keeping, we'd already be disqualified. Right? Right? You see, living in any kind of sin is already a breach of contract. Right? Which means that you and I have already forfeited our eternity a long time ago because no one in this room can say that they have lived a perfect sinless life. If, live, if salvation was earned by law keeping, we have already breached contract and forfeited eternity. Are you with me? We might as well stop now because we are already guilty. Now, as logical as that sounds, I think there are some of us in, in here today that still live our life as if that's true. We still live our life as if law-keeping saves us. And can I tell you how you know you live your life? Some of you may hear, well, how do I know that I'm living my life as if law-keeping is saving me? Because you constantly, in your walk with God, live in a state of fear, failure, frustration, and fakeness. That's the cycle of somebody who is always thinking that they are justified by the law. So in theory, you might agree that we are saved by grace, but in reality, you're constantly finding yourself walking in fear, failure, frustration, and sometimes even being fake. 
we think to ourselves, have you ever thought yourself this? If I only just try harder, I got to try harder. I got to try harder. I, I, I got to work longer. I, I got to do more. I keep failing. I keep messing up. I keep letting God down. I, I got to just try harder. I got to read my Bible more. I, I know I should have prayed three hours instead of 10 minutes. That's it. I should have went to church. I should have downloaded right now media, right? Like we always make it about works. Like we, that's, you know what I call this? I call this quicksand Christianity. Let me explain to you what quicksand Christianity is. See, quicksand kills people the harder they try to get out of it. Right? I, I, I want to say, has anybody ever been stuck in quicksand? Right? Somebody's like, yeah. <laughs> if you have, I'd like to talk with you. You live a very adventurous life. But look, someone who's stuck in quicksand, quicksand thinks, if I can just climb my way out of this, I'll be okay. You see that? So, so what do they do? They struggle harder. They exert more energy only to find out that actually quicksand is just making them sink faster. The more energy they exert, the more they try to climb out, the more they begin to what? Sink. You see, the key to getting out of quicksand is to actually stop trying to save yourself. The key to getting out of quicksand is to stop trying to save yourself. Now, I know that feels kind of counterintuitive, but it's actually to stand still and wait for someone else to save you. In fact, the less struggle you have, the more ability your body has a chance to balance itself out so that you could be saved. This is the point that Paul is making. Listen, the more we work to keep the law, the more we realize we can't. The law can only reveal your sin, but it can't keep you from sinning. So to strive to live by it in your own strength only heaps more wrath on you. It only brings more wrath. Do you get that? I'm trying to keep the law. I broke it again. I'm trying not to sin. I failed again. I fell down again. And every time you do that, what happens? You're just heaping more. You're just becoming more aware of the wrath of God. Now, in my experience, two things happen to a person living in quicksand Christianity. Number one is frustration. Can I get an amen in here? I know some of you living in your own righteousness, but if there are you in here that are being honest, you'll understand frustration. Has frustration ever set in? Listen, the presence of constant failure is a heavy burden to bear. Have you ever been in that rut? Have you ever been patterns and cycles of sin? over and over again, and you feel the burden and the heavy weight of your failure over and over and over again, and you say, I just can't get this right. You become, you get frustrated. You try and you fall. You try and you fall, and you know the law, and you make it about trying to obey the law, but every time you fail, the law comes heavier on you, and it's just heaping more wrath. See, a person stuck in this cycle will soon walk away from Christ walk away from his church reasoning, it doesn't work, it wasn't for me. Or maybe frustration has set in, but instead of walking away from the church, you stood in the church and decided to fake it. And see, if you don't walk away, you'll walk in hypocrisy because that's what people who live by the law do. You act like, you act like you're perfect you know, and I have to say this, all of us, we have to be careful not to walk in our own righteousness. But we must be careful to walk in the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness outside of us. 
Now, let me give you an example of what that means, because that sounds really cool, but what does it mean to not walk in our own righteousness? Um, maybe, have you ever been to a church small group or maybe a connect that inspire? I mean, not our connects, right? Uh, but have you ever been there and uh, have you ever got that feeling that nobody was being honest? Oh, good. Praise God. You're not an inspire, right? You ever got that feeling nobody's being honest? Like everybody is talking, right? Everyone is sharing, but nobody is being real. Nobody wants to share what they're really struggling with. Oh, brother, you know, it's just really hard to read my Bible. You know, I read, I've, you know, I've been reading it for five days a week, but God's really calling me to read six. You know, it's like, what? All right, everybody's talking, but nobody is being real. Listen, there's no transparency. There's no exposure of sin. It's just a group of people being real surface and they're content on protecting their reputations. Look, if we never repent, if we never confess, and if we're never honest about our struggles, then we'll just be a surface church training everyone how to act in their own righteousness, live in your own faulty, hypocritical righteousness. And you know, people who come and get saved and God is doing a new thing, they want to come into a place and not hear how perfect everybody is. And you know what? As pastors, it's a struggle sometimes because we, you know, we, we want to walk. We want to walk on water. We don't want people to see any of our mistakes, right? And then we're on the pulpit and so you're trying to share a personal example, right? You're trying to share these things. And there's a fear that goes on because you don't want people to see you, you for who you really are. But one thing that I've noticed is that when I'm honest about my struggle, more people come up to me and thank me than they do looking at me and saying, well, you shouldn't be my pastor. And we do that everywhere. We, we live in our reputation because we're afraid that people will see the real us. But when a church starts to take away and not live in the confidence of their own righteousness, when a connect, when a small group begins to expose and confess sin, that's when real discipleship is taking place. And oftentimes, can I just say this, connect leaders, you have to go first. But we're leaders. And I was just talking about this um, at a great dinner and we were just talking about the power of this. And I was just putting my message together. I couldn't help but This was just playing in my heart over and over again. Look, someone who does not keep the gospel at the center will become frustrated and fake. Maybe that's you right now. Someone that does not keep the gospel at the center will become frustrated and fake. Likewise, a church that doesn't keep the gospel at its center will produce frustrated and fake people. Paul, going back to Paul, Paul wants us to know, but Paul, when he's writing his letter, he's not just writing to us. Remember, he's writing to the church at Rome. And in the church at Rome, there are Jews that have come to know Jesus. But those Jews are being harassed by other Jews that reject Jesus and say, the only way you're saved is through law keeping. So Paul tells the Jews that are being harassed by their opponents. And Paul also is speaking to the opponents and say this, if you are saved by the law, then why does God call your forefather Abraham righteous in your Torah Genesis 14 years before he circumcised and 430 years before the Mosaic law ever comes out at Mount Sinai? In other words, Abraham was made righteous before he ever did anything. And so Paul is even telling the Jews that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we have always been saved by faith alone. 
And they would say, no, 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 he was saved by his circumcision. And Paul would say, God called him righteous 14 years before he was circumcised. I said, no, no, he was saved by keeping the law. And Paul says, the law didn't come out until 430 years later with Moses at Mount Sinai. It's not by the law. It's by God's grace. And you guys know we've been going over terms, right? Up until this point, Paul has introduced in Romans to us justification, imputation, propitiation. Now he introduces a new term to our understanding of salvation called grace. Grace. So I just gave you two reasons why you should be overjoyed that God didn't do it by law. Now I'm going to give you two reasons why you should be overjoyed that he did it by grace. And here's your two reasons if you're taking notes. Number one, because what grace means. And number two, because of what grace does. Now, reason number one, what, what does grace mean? I feel like if you and I get and capture the beauty of grace, it changes the game. Yeah. This right here, if you understand this, it changes the game. So let's talk about that. Paul tells us, because salvation is by faith, we get to experience God's grace. You see, if it was by law, we would never get to experience his grace. Now, if does, this doesn't excite you, and that's understandable, chances are maybe you don't, sit, you don't grasp grace. And so let me explain to you as best as I can how wondrous and beautiful grace really is. Now, some people define grace as God's unmerited favor. What does it mean to be unmerited? It means a blessing that we get that we don't deserve. It's like receiving a very thoughtful and expensive gift just because. It's just somebody has thought of you and somebody has, has decided to get you something useful and expensive and has given it to you and it's not your birthday and it's not Christmas and you didn't graduate and the last time you checked, you just didn't do anything for it. Now, I think that's cause for joy. But can I tell you something? God's grace actually goes deeper than that. Grace is probably best defined as God's demerited favor. Let me explain that. Not just a blessing we don't deserve, but a blessing that comes to us when we deserve the exact opposite. It's not just giving someone a thoughtful and expensive gift just because, but it's giving that thoughtful and expensive gift to someone who has hurt you, stole from you, and deserves to be punished by you. This is grace. It's God giving to us his love when in reality, we deserve his wrath. Let me illustrate this a little bit. What if I had decided to adopt somebody on death row into my family? Let me go a little further. What if this person that I had adopted was guilty of committing heinous crimes? And what if I found a way to get them off death row and bring them into my home and take them in as my own? But that's not it. What if the way that I got them off death row was to put my son there instead? What would you say if I took a criminal off death row and put Philip on? And what if I took that criminal who was condemned into my house, fed him my food, moved him into my son's bedroom, and told him everything that was my son's is yours? 
all that I have is now yours. And for the rest of the days, I love them as if they were my own child. That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. Paul is saying, if we earn salvation by law keeping, then we never get to experience grace. But if our salvation comes by faith, then it's a gift of God's amazing grace. Can we just take a moment to soak that in? Maybe someone in here says, you don't know what I do. You don't know what I've done. And I would tell you, you don't know God's grace. Reason number one, because of what grace means. Reason number two, we should be overjoyed, not just because of what grace means, but what grace does, what it does. Now I want to this is where I'm going to land the plane and conclude our season finale by encouraging you with three things that grace does in your life. Three things that grace does in your life. And again, if you're taking notes, here it is. It guarantees, it empowers, and it overcomes. Three things that grace does for your life. It guarantees, it empowers, and it overcomes. Now you know why that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, right? When you begin to understand the depth and the beauty of it, when you sing these songs, they just make so much more impact in your life. Again, three things that I want to encourage you with before we finish this particular portion of Romans. Grace guarantees, grace empowers, and grace overcomes. Number one, God's grace, are you ready? Guarantees our salvation. It guarantees our salvation. Look at what Paul said in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may, ready, rest on grace and be guaranteed. Guaranteed. Now, this should bring you and I joy. God's grace, God's grace leaves no room for wondering or questioning. Have you ever sat down in church and asked yourself, am I saved? Am I right with God? Am I going to heaven? Have you ever sat down and asked yourself over and over again in fear and failure and all of these things come to consume you and then you realize, but I'm not saved by the works of the law. I'm saved by his amazing grace. And because it is by his grace, my salvation is not wishy-washy, but it is what? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. God's grace leaves no room for you and I to wonder or question. Why? Because you can't save yourself. So stop trying. If salvation came by the law, then all bets are off. And you and I have every right to be completely insecure about our salvation. But if salvation comes by faith, guess what? Your eternity is not based upon your own ability to keep the law but based upon God's ability to keep his promise to those he loves. Wow. Remember I asked you the critical question? Let me ask you, who would you rather put your eternity's hands in? Yours or God's? Now you may answer God, but I would say, well, then stop living like it's in your hands. I don't know about you guys, but every time I try to take things in my own hands in my life, it really just doesn't work. 
It may look nice and feel nice for the moment, amen? We tend to take things in our own hands, and maybe in the beginning it feels good, it looks good, but in the end it just stings. I don't want to take things into my own hands. I'm tired of doing it, and I want to give it to the hands of God. And why wouldn't I do it with the most important, vital thing that will affect my eternity, my salvation? It's by grace. Second thing that grace does, God's grace empowers us. Amen? Empowers us. Look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Paul says this. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Wow, isn't that power? In the presence of God, whom he believed, this God who does what? Gives what? Life to the dead. And this God who does what? Who calls things into existence that do not exist. I was actually just kind of really looking at this, and I just want to encourage somebody in here today. Somebody need encouragement today? I hope so. I want to encourage somebody who's feeling like giving up today. God's grace over your life has the power to create in you something out of nothing. Hear me out. I really believe that there are some of us in here today that have been struggling and striving in our Christianity. And you've been failing and falling over and over again. And guess what? You see no way out. And you see no way in which you would ever be transformed. But can I just remind you with something beautiful this morning? God has the power to accomplish in you what you don't have the power to accomplish in yourself. You guys notice something? Paul doesn't tell us that Abraham like worked harder, right? He He didn't work hard to become a better man, a better person. Scripture tells us that Abraham, what, believed the God of Genesis. Do you believe the God of Genesis? Oh, Patty does. (laughs) Do you believe the God of Genesis? Let me tell you why that's important, though. Some of you don't believe the God of Genesis because you don't believe that he could create in you when he created the universe. Paul is saying, look at the majesty and the power. Some of you call yourself creatives in here. You're not. Because you can't create something out of nothing. Everyone in here needs pre-existing material to create something. Only God is truly an authentic creator in that he can have no pre-existing material and turn it into life. If you believe in the God of Genesis, then why do you not believe him to do something new in you, to create something you couldn't create in yourself? You're addicted to pornography. You're constantly falling. You're addicted to alcohol. You're looking to idols. You're insecure. You're frustrated. You're failing. You think Christianity is working, but you don't trust the God of Genesis. The God of Genesis brings dead things to life. The God of Genesis creates things out of nothing. He does not need pre-existing material, which means he doesn't need you to try harder. Oh man, I hope you're, I hope you are blessed by that because I know I'm blessed. I might go sit down and pray for myself. 
Stop living in your own righteousness. Stop striving and struggling to obey the law. Believe the gospel. Look at its beauty and respond to it in worship. What makes you think that God can't do in you what he did in Genesis? <laughs> what did it say about the earth? Well, first of all, it wasn't there. He creates it, and then the scripture tells us it was formless, shapeless. It was void. It was in darkness. Doesn't it sound like our heart sometimes? Yeah. And what did the God of the universe do? He began to take that formless, shapeless darkness, and he spoke life, and he spoke light, and light came, and, and life, was, life began to populate on this earth, and what was dead came to life what didn't exist existed and some of you say I don't know how I can become a new creation because do you know who I am and I say well do you know who my God is and do you know what he's done you're no match your little issues are no match in the hands of God and I didn't mean to belittle your issues I'm sure your issues are big but when we look at how big our God is amen now, if you can't worship over that, then we might just have to pray for salvation. Amen? Yes. Number three, last thing, last thing, then we're going to finish. God's grace overcomes what seems like formidable opposition. What are you facing right now that is maybe suggesting to you that he can't do what he said he would do? Look at verse 19 of chapter 4. Paul tells us about Abraham. He did not weaken in faith. Isn't that powerful? He didn't weaken in faith. He didn't weaken in faith. That's for somebody in here today. He didn't weaken in faith. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body. He didn't weaken in faith when he didn't consider his own body. His own body was what? It was dead. He was 100 years old. And he didn't weaken in faith when he also considered the barrenness of his wife. See, God promised them children. But Abraham said, I'm almost 100 and my wife hasn't been able to have a baby even when she was young. God's grace overcomes what seems like formidable opposition. What we see and what we experience in the natural, doesn't that have a way to discourage us? Like, doesn't it have an ability to discourage us from God? Doesn't it have a way to shut us down, to believe that he can't do what he said he would do? You see, Abraham had two obstacles, right? He had two solid excuses, <laughs> right? Because we all came in here with some real good excuses. Abraham had two solid excuses why the promise of God could not be realized in his life. The promise of a new birth, the promise of a baby. Two solid excuses. Number one was, I'm 100 years old, God. My body's dead. I can't be doing that now. Number two, Sarah is barren. And even in her 20s, she couldn't have children. So what makes you think she's going to have children now? Let me ask you this what's stopping you from believing God stopping you what are you currently facing in the natural that's causing you to doubt and waver what in your life are you struggling with what in your life are you struggling to believe God's grace is not good enough for not strong enough for not power enough for do you actually think that your life is a formidable foe against God's transforming work do we have to go back to Genesis as we get into our season finale and we shut Romans down for a month and a half, let you, I want you to be encouraged by Abraham's faith. This is what Paul wanted. And let me read to you again what verse 20 and 21 says. And just listen, hear me out. Just let this saturate inside of you. No unbelief made him waver. 
concerning the promise of God. Wow. But he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And the scripture goes on to tell us, and the word, it was the phrase that was counted to him as righteousness was not just for him, but guess what? It was for, Paul says, us too. It was for us too. So I want to add one more element to our salvation formula as we finish. So far, we've realized that we are saved by faith alone. And then we added in Christ alone. But let me add one more formula as we leave. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. By faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. May we never lose sight of that. May we never move beyond it. May the gospel be the thing that not only saves us, but sanctifies us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You just take a moment to allow this to sink in a little bit. We just focus on the grace of God. And just watch the grace pour over everything in your life that you think you're not worthy of being forgiven for. Everything in your life that you feel like you've not measured up. Thank you, Jesus. I do want to say this. Grace is free, but it wasn't cheap. Amen? I want to make sure that you know that this is not a motivational speech. If you don't know Jesus, and if you haven't put your trust in him, then you have no access to this grace. Then you are condemned. If you don't know Jesus, and you haven't put your faith and trust in him, then you deserve wrath, and you will get it because God is just. Don't walk out of here thinking that you can do it on your own. The key to grace is by faith alone in what? Christ alone. We need not just faith. And that's the problem these days in our world. We preach faith, 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 faith. Faith in yourself. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't need more faith in yourself. Faith, ready for this? Faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Faith in knowing that he did it. The object of your faith is so important. Let it be Jesus Christ and let it not be yourself. So Heavenly Father, I just pray for everyone in this room. I pray for those in this room who have been walking with you and are experiencing moments of, of failure, of pain, of frustration, of guilt, of hurt, of shame, maybe all of that. Lord, and I pray that they would learn to look at the gospel again. I pray that grace would compel them. I pray that grace would compel them. I pray that Christ would be enough. Just every head bowed, every eye closed. What in your life is it? It's Christ plus something else. Christ is not sufficient. Well, I need this to feel better about myself. I need this to feel good about my life. I need, it's gotta be Christ plus nothing else. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Will you return back to that? Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know Jesus, maybe they were invited here, Lord. Maybe they came here just as a casual observer. 
and they're starting to feel the Holy Spirit speak to them. Right now, if you don't know Jesus, you would ask them, well, Phil, how am I saved? I would say this, you put your faith in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Well, how do I do that? What, do I gotta jump through hoops? Do I gotta, what do I gotta do? And I just wanna tell you, this is how you put your faith in Christ alone. You trust in him and believe his gospel. Believe it. Right there we are. Well, do I have to pray a prayer? Yes, we can lead you through a sinner's prayer, and that's beautiful, but the prayer doesn't save you. It's your heart. It's your heart. So, Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone in this room that feels lost, that feels far from you, feels like they walked away. I pray that they would have a heart, not just a prayer, that would say, yes, I believe Jesus. I admit and know that I am a sinner. I don't measure up. I fail. I know this, but I repent of my sin. I repent of my sin, and I put my trust in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. He was sinless and I am a sinner and he has given me his righteousness. So when the father looks at me, he doesn't see my faults, my failures and my sins, but he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And I get all of that for free if I would just trust in Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. Believe him. Faith. Faith. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just begin to move and stir. I pray people would begin to make recommitments to those things that you've called them to. I pray here, God, Lord, that there would be people that would feel, Lord, that you are pulling at their heart, tugging at their heart, calling them closer to you, Father. I pray no condemnation, no works. I pray when we leave this place, it wouldn't be a list of things that I need to do now, but I pray that we would continually look at the beauty of the gospel, and then we would live out our lives based on that beauty. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this gospel. We are overjoyed. <laughs> because in your wisdom, you didn't make it about works, but you made it about faith. Wow, how wise you are. How righteous you are. How glory. You are so full of love. Thank you for not making it about the law. Thank you for making it by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. We ask these things in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen, 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 and amen. God bless you guys, and have a beautiful Sunday. Next Sunday, we got a special guest speaker coming in, a really close friend of mine. I love him to death. He's going to be amazing, so invite somebody. Make sure you come back, and we're getting ready for Christmas soon, so we got a couple of surprises coming. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.